Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. So I'm reading a phenomenal book, Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. Let's start our message. It's a message of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you the heading in the moment. Gordon Fee is a theologian. One of my favorite books, you can bury it with me, is Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. So give me my Bible, give me this book, and there's a couple of others I could mention. Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. And he's way in his 80s now. He's a very holy man. I watched a YouTube of him yesterday. And he has some concerns about the modern day church. He has some concerns about that we've lost some of the distinctives of the Holy Spirit. And he says the Spirit was the empowering presence for the early church. And and power had to do, of course, with the fruits you know, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, and, and, and the witness, and you'll receive power to be my witnesses, witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even to the central coast, and the gifts, the nine gifts of the Spirit. And you've heard the analogy of the dove, nine gifts, nine fruits, and nine gifts. If you're just running on gifts, you're, you're crashing into things and hurting people. And, but if you've got the, the, the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, and the gifts, you can, you can just beautifully glide in and out into situations. Is that good? He says, crucial to his experience, talking about the Apostle Paul, crucial to the experience was the early church's understanding of the Spirit as the fulfillment of the Jewish hopes of the return of the divine presence. So Paul is an absolute brainiac of the Old Testament, the Torah. He knows God's Word. He's one of the high-end Pharisees. He knows God's Word. He has this massive encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he goes for about 14 years, apparently, learning about this um, gospel and learning about the mystery of Christ, And, and to the point where he turns up again in the midst of the apostles, you know, John and Peter, and they go, this is this guy that was killing us. What's he doing with, you know, get him out of here. No, no, trust me, I've had a massive conversion, and, and, and I, I want to do what you're doing. I want to just preach the gospel. So Paul is a radical, a radical uh, testimony of, of a radical conversion of someone who's murdering the people of the way, murdering people who are saying yes to Jesus, and has a massive encounter with God, with Jesus personally with Jesus, and then, of course, he goes away and thinks about that, and he studies it, but in doing that, because because he's such a holy man, because he's such an integral man, he downloads the blueprints of all that the church is and who the body of Christ is, meaning that we are a temple, that God is no longer going to live in just the temple of Jerusalem, but Paul is saying, you're a temple, and for the Pharisees, this was, in the Old Testament, this was unheard of. No, no, you come to us. The Pharisees are saying, you come to us, and then we'll bring you to the temple, and we have this sacred spot where the Holy of Holies is, and we only, one of us only can go in there once a year, and, and Paul says, no, it's changed. The temple's been ripped from top to bottom. Thank you, Jesus. And the presence of God is being released. For us to receive 
the Holy Spirit personally, and that is actually what happened when you got saved. When you said yes to Jesus, you opened the door to your heart, and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not. Did you know that? Did you read the fine print? You didn't? No, I wanted to do religion. I just wanted to come to church on Sunday. I just wanted to admire God from afar. I just wanted to say, you know, subscribe to his weekly sermons, podcasts, whatever, a Facebook page, whatever. No, 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 God's in you now. You receive Jesus in you. And here's the other thing that Paul said, when you gather like this, the Holy Spirit will be there also. And that's why the women's night last night or any gathering, connect group, the worship, when we come and gather, if you knew the, the switch that is flicked when we start church at 9.30, you would never be late to this house again. We're going to break that habit on the central coast. We just wander in. We just wander out. I'm the Holy Spirit, man. I might go down the road, you know. I'm like... No, you're here. How can you build a marriage? Uh, If I said, oh, I might come home tonight, darling. Uh, You know, I'll just see how I go anyway. Look, uh, you know, Rafa Nadal's playing. I might go watch him at the time. Yeah. And and no, this house is built on commitment. Commitment to worship, to serve, to love, to give. That's how we're here. We've been doing that 20 years. I've been doing this. Holy, 20 years I've been doing that. Holy Spirit. I didn't wander in at quarter to ten and go, oh, that's right, I've got to preach this morning. Yeah. It's built on the solid rock of the commitment that Christ made to us that now we're enacting through the pioneers of this church that have done this and we should applaud them. Come on. Because they're here. Not wafting in, wafting out. But I wanted to make the point, yes, the Holy Spirit is in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should, you should get used to that. You, you should get used to the fact the Holy Spirit is in you. And, and there's, man, my mind is exploding with things to be, you know, you can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Practice the presence of God. But when we come together, there's a corporate anointing. There's a corporate anointing. And, and, and if you like the corporate anointing of C3 Tugra, you're here with bells on. And if you don't, there's plenty of other churches down the road that you can go and, you know what? I really feel good here. My, my, my body, soul, and spirit is engrafted in this place. I believe in the vision. I'm committed, heart, soul, and mind. I'm actually, my identity is that church. See, it's not good enough to say, I'm a Christian. You need to be able to say, I'm a C3 Tugrian. Is that, never said that before, but we might have to work on that. Sorry, Katrina? A Tugarian. But there is. This, why do we say that? Because belonging to this church, you're engrafted by your spirit. Father, may they be one, as you're one with me. May they be one in perfect unity. They were in one heart, one mind. And every time I read that in the book of Acts, Miracles broke out. Houses were shaken. Souls were saved. Miracles broke out. But when you treat the house on a secular value as, a, a, as just basic information, I don't know. I'm thinking 
you know, like Seinfeld, speak to the hand. You know, like, like yeah, yeah, tell me more, tell me more, but you're not going to get my heart. You're not going to get my involvement of my spirit, my, 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 my spirit. And, and that doesn't work. It's us collectively together, lock and load, and we become the church. Glory breaks out, and the power of God is invoked, and we see miracles, and God is awesome. At the heart of the new understanding was the perception of themselves as the newly constituted people of God. So we are a new people of God. The Old Testament guys didn't have what we have. The Old Testament uh, priest, prophet, king, they had the Holy Spirit. But we now, in the New Testament, all of us have the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? Gordon Fee says, one reads poorly who does not recognize that for him, the presence of the Spirit, capital S, as an experienced living reality was the crucial matter for Christian life from beginning to end. He says this, for Paul, for, for Paul life in the Spirit meant embracing both fruit and gifts simultaneously, vigorously, he calls it the radical middle. He says, the Spirit as an experienced and empowering reality was for Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his churches, the key player in all the Christian life from beginning to end. The Spirit covered the whole range of this. Power for life, growth, fruit, gifts, prayer, witness, and everything else. He also says, if the church is going to be effective in our postmodern world, we need to stop paying mere lip service as the, ex- as the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us, who enables us to live as a radical, eschatological people in the present world while we await the eschatological means, all things, end days stuff, the destiny of humanity. Um, yeah. So he says our theology and experience of the Spirit must be more interwoven if our experienced life of the Spirit is to be more effective. The outpouring of the Spirit meant for Paul that God had fulfilled his promise to dwell once again in and among his people. Understanding of the outpouring of the Spirit as the coming promised Holy Spirit is Ephesians 1.13 and it says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. This is what I was talking about. When you were saved, this happened to you. Ephesians 1.13 happened to you and it says it like this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. And Galatians 3.14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And if you look back in the Old Testament, this was coming way back in Deuteronomy 36 where it was prophesied, I will make a new covenant. I will write it on your hearts meaning he's going to put his Holy Spirit in you. And it says, my favorite scripture is in Ezekiel uh, 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. 
So this is 700 years before Jesus died on the cross, and Ezekiel's going, guess what? I'm going to pick up what Deuteronomy said, what Jeremiah said. It's absolutely true. He's going to take out the stony heart of humanity, that, that heart that continually falters and fails and reneges and rebels on God. I'm going to take, I'm going to reconstitute that. I'm going to reconstitute your heart, and I'm going to allow my Holy Spirit to come into your heart, and you're going to be rewired, reformatted, to be able to serve God, love God, worship God all the days of your life. How? Because I'm going to put my spirit in you. And of course, because of the perfect sacrifice of cross, of the cross, of Christ on the cross, it was enacted. It's a done deal. Above everything else is fulfillment of the new covenant. The spirit marked the return of the lost presence of God. We had it in the garden. We lost it. We had it in the temples, uh, the tabernacles and the temples, the temples of David. We had it, and then, it was, then, 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 they, then they blew it, and, and, and then there was 400 years of silence right at the end of the Old Testament, but then Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, amen? Israel understood themselves to be the people of the presence, the people among whom the eternal God had chosen to dwell on earth. The most prominent way God's presence is experienced in the Old Testament is in the tabernacle and the temple. I'm just prefacing something that I want to get to because it will give you a good context. Such presence that the glory descended on the sacrifice and offerings of worship. Whoa. And then you've got the burning bush, which I want to talk about in Exodus 3. The living God shows up and presents himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then he instructs Moses to bring the people there to worship him. When Israel arrives at the holy mount in chapter 19, they come to the place of God's dwelling, the place they are forbidden to even touch for the, you know, the penalty of sin. That's something that's changed too. Now we can approach God. Only Moses is allowed into the presence. But God's plans to move from the mount to dwell among his people by the means of a tabernacle gets cut in on by the people. So after the giving of the book of the covenant... Moses received the instructions from, for the tabernacle's construction. That's why church is so important to me. I believe God is still building churches where his presence will come, his glory can fill. But between the instructions and the construction, the disastrous episode in the desert where they, Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He's there a long time, 40 days, and the people resort. He's gone. Moses is gone. He ain't going to help us. Let's build a golden calf. Let's start worshiping that, something that we can see. A lot of people are worshiping things they can see. God says, my presence will not go with you, but an angel will go with you. An angel will go instead, he says in Exodus uh, 33. So then Moses realized that's totally inadequate. That's not going to be, that's not going to work. That's not a solution. If your presence, he says, Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And here's the key word. What else will distinguish, say distinguish, me and C3 Tugra, but God's people in this scripture, from all other people on the face of the earth? Exodus 33, 15. We'll go there in a minute. This is followed by a further revelation of God's character. Exodus 34, 4. 
So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets, Exodus 34.4, I might go down to six. So Moses chilled out two, chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, and the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Verse six, and he passed in front of him proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. The comp-. Now this is... so. It wasn't just enough for Moses to have a full-blown encounter with God and to go face-to-face with him, but he says, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. This is a bit like our church. That was a great sermon, Pastor Phil, Pastor Julie, Luke, Andrew. But I want the glory. And in this church, we will open up the altar, and of course, what happens, especially on a night, on a p.m. service, 7.30 is done, but we go, you know what? We just feel like God wants to show his glory. What's his glory? Is that just goosebumps and, and good feelings? The glory for me is his character. It's his nature. And we all need an encounter, a daily encounter, to realize that our God is good. So verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Boom, there's the glory. You want the glory? There it is. The Lord is compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's what would happen in the tabernacle. That's what would happen uh, as the tabernacle was filled with the glory. They'd go, oh my God, woo, God is so good. And then I love this, Deuteronomy 2.11. This is for the people that love giving to the Lord and then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. C3 Tugra, I hope. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And when they did, the glory came on that. The anointing came upon that. So many offerings in the Old Testament that when they gave or when they made a sacrifice, the anointing, the glory came on it. Never underestimate giving to the Lord. If you want to get the anointing, the true riches of heaven, you need to learn how to give. Led by the presence of God, symbolized by the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. 1 Kings 8.11 says it like this. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. This is after the offering, right, guys? But Israel's failure caused them to forfeit God's presence. And Ephesians 4.30 says, and, and this is an admonishment to us, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Exodus 19.4. So let's go back to this. Jesus is crucified um, for all our sins forevermore. Thank you, Lord. The the shadow of that is in the Old Testament. um, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Egypt is a type of of a world that's oppressed by the devil, oppressed by the enemy. And God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the cries of the central coast, you might say. If you're an intercessor, 
You've heard the cries of your workmate. You've heard the cries of a family you know. You've heard the cries of your neighbor. You've heard the cries of your, even your friend in church. You've heard the cries of that precious lady you keep bumping into at the shops because you see her you know, with not enough money to buy groceries and she's always strung out and anxious and whatever. But, but God says, I've heard the cries of my people, Moses, I want you to go. So Moses now on Mount Sinai, the burning bush experience, he has a full-blown burning bush experience with God and God says, you're the guy. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to him and tell him to let God's people go. You know the story, 10 plagues, he refuses to let him go, let the people go. Eventually they do, they're released. Moses leads them, the sea opens up. Praise God, that's a miracle enough. If I'd seen that, I'd never backslide. What about you? <laughs> but they do, they keep backsliding even after that. So they go through, they're onto the other side, but the beeline that Moses is, is, is wanting to, to get them to, he wants them to get to this, back to that Mount Sinai where he experienced God. He says, we're on a great journey, but before we even try that journey, before we try, before we try and navigate that journey and traverse all the trials and the obstacles and whatever, we need to get to Mount Sinai. That's where God is. So although you got saved, you still need to get to Jesus every day. Although you got saved, to live out this great life, this adventurous life, you need Jesus, and, and this is how the Bible says it. Exodus 19.4 says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, this is God, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's constantly wanting to bring his people, you and I, to himself. All that is in front of you to claim all that Christ has paid for on the cross your promised land life, your, and what salvation mean? Salvation means wholeness. Your whole life that is not instantaneous, but it can be acquired and it can be walked out step by step. Every place you tread your heel, you will possess. It's not a quick you just don't get there and become Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful overnight. It's a step-by-step -step as you take possession of your rightful life, the promised land life, the life that is your spiritual inheritance, your physical inheritance, and all that Christ has for you. So from here, yes, we worship you for what you have done, Jesus. But now he's saying, now go, possess the land. That's what he said to the Israelites. Now you're free from Pharaoh. You need to get to the promised land where it's all absolutely wonderful. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3telgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.